0: Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. Revelation 8 1. And when he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar. Which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, and he filled it with the fire of the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, and sounds, and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. And the first sounded, And there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burnt up, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many died from the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten, so that a third of the stars. Uh, so that a third of them might be darkened and the day might not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way and i looked and i heard flying in mid heaven saying uh, an eagle flying in mid heaven saying with a loud voice woe 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 to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound in chapter 8 we have Christ, at the beginning of the chapter, opening up the seventh seal. Remember that there is a book, the book that He held or took from the hand of the Father in chapter 5. Only He was worthy to open it. In chapter 6, the first six seals of the book were opened and various judgments came to man. And then there was an interlude in chapter 7 explaining the redemption. Chapter 6, the punishment. In chapter 7, redemption. But now, in chapters 8 and following, we continue with the destruction, with the punishment, the wrath of God that comes upon the earth. And chapter 8 is taken up with this seventh seal that's opened by Christ. So let's see what happens when the seventh seal is opened. We see, firstly, that there are trumpets and seven angels, and then a progression of punishments and judgments upon man. Verse 1 says... And when He broke the seventh seal, that is, Christ broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, some judgments have already occurred, and before this final seal is opened and more judgment is to come, these judgments will be more severe, they will be more drastic, they will certainly afflict man in ways that they have not experienced before. And so it says here that there is silence in heaven for about half an hour. This silence is not an unusual silence in terms of the the Bible and, and the Old Testament. In Habakkuk two, eighteen to twenty, Zephaniah chapter one, seven to eighteen, and also in Zechariah chapter two, six to thirteen, we have verses there that call upon the people of the earth to hush, to be quiet to wait and see what God's going to do and be prepared for what God is about to do. And in each of those places, in Zephaniah 1, Habakkuk 2, and in Zechariah chapter 2, God is ready to punish. So everyone is supposed to be silent and wait and see this ominous event and series of events that will occur because God is ready to bring His judgments upon the earth this is why there is silence for about half an hour now this half an hour uh, it is known extra biblically in an author named josephus who wrote in the first century about A.D. 90 that in the temple of jerusalem during the siege the roman siege of jerusalem there was a great light that appeared in the sanctuary for half an hour and after the, the siege, of course, the Roman armies came and they destroyed the temple. There was destruction and punishment on the temple, on the city, on the Jewish people for their rejection of the Messiah. This punishment and judgment came. So, even there, in terms of extra-biblical historical evidence, there was, there was some understanding that there was a great light, there was silence, and, and then there was punishment that came right after that. Well, perhaps that's what's happening here. We certainly do see in chapters 8 and following, punishment after punishment after punishment, judgment after judgment after judgment. judgment. The wrath of God poured out on sinful man. Now, verse 2, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Seven angels are mentioned here. They're unnamed, but they do have trumpets. Seven trumpets issued to them that they will blow in due time. They will sound these trumpets in due time. They are, are before God, so they are in the service of God. God will send them out, and it is God who gives trumpets to them. He assigns tasks for them. Now, when trumpets are given or, or sounded in the Bible, there are various meanings and usages of the trumpet. Sometimes a trumpet is for a festival day. Sometimes it's for a new moon festival, Sometimes it is also for war. And this is likely the understanding here that there is warfare, there's judgment, there's death, there's misery that's about to take place. We see an example of this warfare usage in Numbers chapter 10 verses 1 to 10 where one of the purposes of using the trumpet is to sound the alarm that war and havoc and destruction are about to come, that people need to be ready for it. Verse 3 And another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, and he filled it with the fire of the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, and sounds, and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. In this section, this angel, another angel, he comes, he's at the altar. This is likely the altar of incense, the golden altar of incense. In the time of Solomon, it was a golden um, altar of incense. And at that place, the frankincense was placed on the fire pan, and then there was a fire that was taken, as it says in verse 5, fire taken from the other altar, that is, the bronze altar where the sacrifice was, uh, coals were taken from that to light up the, the incense on the fire pan for the, the altar of incense. Well, in this case, this angel who does it, he does it the proper way. Notice in verse 5, he took, he filled it with the fire of the altar. And this is likely the, the other altar. Symbolically speaking, he sees this in a vision, of course, John does. So he sees the, the altar of burnt offering and the coals there. He takes a coal and he uh, couples it with the incense and then the incense is added to the prayers of the saints. We know from chapter 5 that the prayers of the saints go up to heaven and they are mixed with incense because the prayers of the saints to God are like incense, the smell of fragrant incense. Chapter 5 verse 8 says uh, that, Each one uh, had a harp, and they had golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This incense symbolizes how God looks upon our prayers. He delights in them, and they are fragrant to Him. Well, earlier in chapter 6, the saints did pray. Remember chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, the saints did pray. And this prayer has come up to God, and now God is answering this prayer. He begins to answer it in chapter six, and he continues to answer it in chapters eight and following. What was their prayer? Let's look at chapter six, verse nine. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each one of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been should be completed also. The prayer in verse 10 is for God who is holy and true. So what he does is right, pure, moral, it's righteousness. And he's true. He does not practice any falsehood. And their prayer to God is for God to judge and avenge their blood upon the perpetrators of their persecution and the perpetrators of their death. They were slain, verse 9 says, and then verse 11 says they were killed. They were slain and they were killed. So now the judgment comes upon those who dwell upon the earth. And this is why when the incense by the angel is offered and added to the prayers of the saints in chapter 8, verse 5, what follows? Chapter 8, verse 5, it says that he threw it to the earth. So it ascends to God and then he also throws it to the earth as though it's an answer from God. He, it goes up and then it comes down, and when it comes down, what follows is peals of thunder, sounds, and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This we know, the, the paradigm for this kind of judgment is Exodus chapters 19 and 20 at Mount Sinai. When God reveals His holiness, when God reveals His righteousness, that He is serious about who He is and what He expects of us, He d- demonstrates that with this kind of phenomena: Thunder, loud sounds, flashes of lightning, and earthquakes. Fire, smoke, all, all of this surrounded Sinai when God was present there. And that's what's happening here too. God is demonstrating that He is holy and righteous and He is about to inflict punishment on those who disobey Him. Verse 6, And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. They prepare themselves. They get in order. They, they know that they must do so in due sequence, as God ordains for them to do it. So they, in battle array, in other words. They prepare themselves in battle array to sound these trumpets so that punishment and destruction and misery might come. It is perhaps also for expectancy. When they prepare themselves, and even in military array, when the military prepare themselves, everyone is expecting the war to start. Destruction and misery and, and all kinds of death to occur. They expect that to happen. And this is what is happening here. John sees this, and he knows that it's going to be ominous. It's going to be very perilous and dangerous, As he sees what happens. Verse 7. The first in verse 7 is that there is destruction that comes upon the land. The land or the earth. Destruction. And the first sounded, the first angel sounded his trumpet. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burnt up. And a third of the trees were burnt up. And all the green grass was burnt up. Here, this destruction of a third of the earth comes with hail, fire, and this is mixed with blood. Now, this blood may be the, a, a blood kind of storm, a, a red kind of storm, with the, the things that are, are in the elements and it turns the storm into red. The, the blood could s- signify death and mortality, or it could be literal blood literal blood that is showered down upon the earth and ruins all kinds of vegetation on the earth. Either of of these interpretations may be taken here. Now it might, might be suitable at this point for me to say that although we are reading about a lot of unusual incidents and figures and metaphors much of this is metaphorical but we have to Grant to, to some level, at least a little bit, that there has to be something actually happening, literally happening, historically happening. And why do I say that we have to expect that that is the case? The first reason is from Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 6. We'll read verses 6 to 14. Matthew 24, 6 to 14. Here Christ explains some incidents related to His return. And as we read this passage, it seems obvious that we have to take His words literally. We have to take His words literally. If we take His words literally, then we have to find what might be the the literal part of what we read John explaining. So, Matthew 24, verse 6. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars... See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. There we have the natural calamities similar to what we're reading in Revelation 8. There will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time many will fall away, and will betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise, and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, it is he who shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. It's straightforward, and I don't see how we can take any of those words that Jesus announced there in Matthew 24 figuratively, not in verses 6 to 14. We must take them straightforwardly. Another place is Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3 will also show that there must be some literalness to what we read of the end times. Second Peter chapter three verse, 3, verse 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by His word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact... Escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Just as the time of Noah, the world was destroyed by water, completely deluge the whole globe with water. In the age to come, in the time to come, when Christ returns, it will be destroyed by fire. Peter speaks straightforwardly. He speaks literally. So that is why we must take some of what we read in Revelation to be actual events that will occur. Now, the speculations on how it actually happens... Stars falling from the sky, volcanoes, um, certain uh, weapons that man invents, nuclear weapons, this and that. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say specifically. So I think it's best not to dabble into to those kinds of speculations, but just to expect that literally God will, before the return of Christ, wreak destruction on the earth. And it will happen in greater intensity, and people of the earth need to be ready for that. We need to be faithful, endure until the end, and wait for Christ to return, and and wait for it expectantly, and wait for it by living in holiness and righteousness. That's what we should do. So, destruction on the earth, Revelation 8, 7. But there's also further destruction in the sea or the oceans. Revelation 8, 8. And the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed." Here, a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Some huge rock is taken up and thrown into the sea so that it becomes blood, the creatures die. And then ships, there's so, so much upheaval and, and huge waves that ships are destroyed because of what happens here. The angel sounds according to the will of God, and then destruction follows after that in the sea. So far, you've seen here in chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, there's similarities, the things that happened in the time of Moses. When Moses inflicted the plagues on the Egyptians, the similarities. Here, we saw plagues on the earth. We saw plagues in the rivers. So this is uh, an indication that just as it happened literally in the time of Moses, we should also not doubt that God is able to do so in an even wide-scale fashion in the days to come. He's able to do so. Verse 10, here specifically, again, rivers are mentioned. Verse 10, And the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the the springs of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Here, a, a great star falls, falls from heaven, burning like a torch. And it destroys a third of the rivers and the springs. Rivers and the springs. And the star is given a name. Because of what the star produces in these waters it's given the name wormwood. Wormwood, this bitter plant, bitter and poisonous plant. Though in the time of Moses in number or Exodus chapter 15, 15:25, 15, they had bitter waters and they called those waters Mara, and the people could not drink it, so Moses took a tree threw it into the waters and it became sweet. They were able to take that water. But the reverse when God's judgment is upon people, it becomes bitter or poisonous and people die because they drink it. They're exposed to it and they drink it. They die. God's judgment. Again, God's judgment. The fourth angel, verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten, so that a third of them might be darkened and the day might not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. The fourth angel sounds, and then the sun, the moon, and the stars are partially darkened. A third of them is darkened. And when darkness occurs with the elements like this, this is prophetically always a sign of judgment. God is ready to act, and God will bring judgment in time. Here, the natural elements themselves, those elements that are inaccessible to man. See, man is able to access the land, the sea, and the rivers. So, that which man depends on, God destroys. And then that which is inaccessible to man, God is able to use the inaccessible constellations to bring fear and judgment upon man. Verse 13, God's not done. This is bad enough, but he's not done. Verse 13, And I looked, and I heard an an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. He shouts these woes, this eagle. An eagle is a bird of prey. Bird of prey. We'll see in Revelation chapter 19, there is so much destruction that the birds of prey devour the flesh of people and beasts that are destroyed and strewn all across the earth. This is the kind of judgment that God brings. And this eagle in midheaven, so that it is visible, everyone can see, and likely in midheaven in the middle of the day, so that there's no doubt what's going on. They can see clearly what God is doing. This bird of prey is expressing that God is about to bring widespread destruction, announces that three more angels have severe judgments awaiting. We'll see in chapter 9 that these angels actually bring much death. There was some death here, but there will be much death later. Much, much death. Notice too, it's a threefold woe. There are woes that are Double woes in the book of Revelation, such as in chapter 18. Double woes is bad enough. Woe, woe. But here, this eagle says, woe, woe, woe. Now, woe does not just mean hold on. Woe does not mean hold on. Woe does not mean, oh, uh, let me get your attention or something like that. It doesn't mean anything like that. In the Bible, woe means, W-O-E. It means distress. Calamity, destruction, punishment, judgment. It's a pronouncement of judgment, a pronouncement of a curse upon people who deserve to be cursed, who deserve to be punished because of their sins. And it says there, to those who dwell on the earth. To those who dwell on the earth. We saw this earlier in chapter 3, verse 10, that God had announced that there was going to be An hour of testing which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. And even in chapter 6 verse 10, it says that the punishment that the saints pray should come upon those who dwell on the earth. The same here in 8.13, this punishment is for those who dwell on the earth. If one is not a saint, one is an earth dweller in the book of Revelation. And the earth dwellers, that is everybody else, deserves the wrath of God. They deserve His wrath. Chapter 9. Chapter 9, we'll read about the fifth and the sixth trumpets. Chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. And they will long to die, and death flees from them. And the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth, were like the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses rushing to battle. And they have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Now, this fifth trumpet, the fifth angel sounds, and this fifth trumpet describes the angel that comes out of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit. He says in verse 1 that a star from heaven fell to the earth. Angels, and I believe this is an angel Angels are occasionally in the Bible called stars, such as Job 38, verse 7, when it says, The morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The morning stars sang, and the sons of God shouted for joy when God created the world. Job 38, verse 7. And even Jesus says of Satan that he fell from heaven. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, in Luke 10, verse 18. So, it is possible for the scriptures here in Revelation 9-1 to be describing an angel that comes from heaven and comes down to the earth. You'll notice also the way that this angel is described in verses 7-11, to it, it has to be an angel, it cannot be just a star itself, an inanimate object. And also verse 11 says that the angel uh, of the abyss, uh, they have a king over them, the angel of the abyss, and then he's named. So if this one angel that comes out of the abyss or the bottomless pit um, is an angel, it fits with verse 11 because this angel from the, the pit, the abyss, has a king over them, the angel of the abyss. Okay? So... We'll take this as an angel. Now, it should not surprise us that God uses angels, and in this case, an evil angel or evil angels, in order to accomplish His tasks. God uses good angels to celebrate, such as Job thirty-eight seven. He uses good angels to help us, we who are Christians, Hebrews 1.14. They are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who inherit salvation. But God also sends forth evil angels in order to bring physical and um, uh, mortal calamities upon people. Natural calamities and then more mortal calamities upon people. God does this. Examples, Job 1, 13 to 19. Remember, Satan himself, the king of the angels, was sent out and he uh, perpetrated four calamities on Job. Two were related to his family and his people and then two were natural. It says the fire of God fell from heaven. That was one natural calamity. And the second one was a great wind from the desert came and it stormed across and blew down the house where his children were. So that's a natural calamity given for, to, to Satan to bring upon Job. We also remember 1 Samuel 16 14-16 where King Saul King Saul, he became erratic and insane at times because an evil spirit from God was sent to terrorize King Saul so that he became a threat to David and sought to assassinate David. Even in 2 Corinthians 12.7, the Apostle Paul had a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him to keep him from exalting himself. He had a thorn in the flesh and he also calls it a messenger of Satan to buffet him so that he might not exalt himself. So, whether to unbelievers or to believers, God sends forth evil spirits for one purpose or another. For believers to test them and to unbelievers to use them as vessels of wrath and in order to punish them. God uses evil angels that way. So, verse... One says, the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. This evil angel has the key given to him. He is temporarily given authority over the bottomless pit. When it says the key was given to him, it obviously means a greater power, a greater authority that is God himself, and specifically Christ from chapter 1 verse 18, he holds the key of death and of Hades. Christ has the key and he can give the key to accomplish his will and he can delegate this power to an evil spirit to accomplish this. Verse 2, he opens up the bottomless pit, smoke comes out of it. Now this smoke is a smoke of judgment. In the Bible, when smoke occurs, such as in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, Remember in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, when God inflicted punishment on those cities, there was a fire of God that came, fire and brimstone, and it brought destruction upon the cities of Sodom, Gomorrah, and two other smaller cities. Well, it describes it as such. It says, verse 23, this is Genesis nineteen twenty-three. the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. So, the sun has arisen. And so, we have this brightness of the sun available. And while the sun is there, it says, verse 24, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Now, verse 28, 1928, And He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley and he saw and behold the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Now the smoke of Sodom and Gomorrah because of the destruction it's ascending and going up and likely it blocked out and shaded out the sun partially. That's the kind of punishment that's happening here but Wide scale, In Revelation 19, 2, it says, The sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. When God opens up this pit by the means of this angel, it brings the smoke of judgment up, reminding people that God is a God of judgment. And also, why? Why judgment? Because of sin. Just like the sin of Sodom needed to be punished... Here, the sin of man is punished, and this pollution of smoke goes up because of the pollution of sin. The pollution of sin produces the pollution of smoke throughout the earth. Verse 3 And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth. Locusts come upon the earth. Here, too, I believe these locusts are metaphorically locusts, but actually they are angels. Other angels who are sent out, as they are described later. And power was given them. Power is given to these locust-looking angels. And as the scorpions of the earth have power. So scorpions have poisonous power. Locusts don't have that. But locusts can be there in great numbers. And they can wreak destruction upon people and their uh, crops. And they can also bring darkness. If, there's, if they are dense enough in some places in the world, when they are numerous enough and dense enough, they bring darkness and destruction upon people and their crops. And that's what's happening here. They're, they're like scorpions in that they have fatal power. They have power to bring poisonous destruction upon people. However, verse 4, God controls what these evil locusts, evil spirit locusts are able to do. He says, don't touch the grass, don't touch any green thing, don't touch any tree, don't harm the vegetation, harm men, harm men. Now locusts, they harm men to the extent that they become a nuisance to them. But they're not poisonous towards men. And they also ruin their crops. So they can harm men that way. But this is direct harming of men just as scorpions can do. Verse 4. Harm only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. The seal. Mentioned in chapter 7 verses 1 to 8. If they are not sealed by God. That is saved by God. Saved from their sins by God. Then harm them. Destroy them. Cause them to die. Verse 5, And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. They're, they're not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment them. Now imagine this torment, because verse 6 says, And in those days men will seek death and will not find it, and they will long to die, and death flees from them. They will want to die because they are tormented by these angels. It doesn't say how they are tormented, but they will be tormented by these evil spirits. They are tormented, and it says for five months. Five months because when the locusts are alive and active, it is a five-month period from May to September. From May to September. That's when nobody wants to be around them. Nobody wants to deal with them. Nobody wants to deal with the hassle of these. And they would rather run and jump away and go to some other place, go to some other country, than to be in this miserable condition being around all these locusts. This is why it says for five months. But in this period of five months, people will want to die. They will long to die, but they can't die. See, these people, they believe in self-preservation. They believe in self preservation so much that they won't kill themselves. They won't kill themselves. They'll be willing to live with intense pain, but they will not kill themselves. Verse 7 He describes them. And the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. So they are like horses prepared for battle. They are ready, they're strong. They are fearless, right? Horses that are battle-ready horses, they are fearless horses. They will go even when the ammunition and all the weapons of war, all the engines of war are right there staring at them, they'll still go straight ahead. Like Flint, they won't shake, they won't move. They'll go straight ahead. So these evil spirits are determined to do what's necessary. It says they have crowns of gold on their head. That means, if they have a crown of gold, they're going to be victorious. They will accomplish what God wants them to accomplish. Their faces were like the faces of men. Here's an indication that they have intelligence. They have some, uh, like spirits do. Good spirits and evil spirits both have intelligence. Just like we do, they have rational capabilities. So, they are rational and they know what they are about to do. What they embark on, they know exactly. Verse 8, And they had hair like the hair of women. Now the hair of women is attractive, it's alluring, it's enticing. And this is what happens when people are involved with spirits and evil spirits. They are entrapped and enticed by evil spirits. And it's hard for them to get away from it. They are engrossed in it. And this is what happens with evil men. Their teeth were like the teeth of lions. The teeth of lions. Lions are powerful. They have uh, strong uh, mouths and teeth. They can devour their enemies. They are called the king of the jungle for a reason, because of their power. They will, these evil spirits, they will be victorious because of this great power that is given to them, that's delegated to them. Verse 9, they will be invincible. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. Iron, invincible, strong, powerful, iron. So no one will be able to overcome them. They will accomplish what they are assigned to accomplish. Their wings sound like chariots. The the ominous, frightful sound of many, many chariots. Nobody wants to face the chariots when he hears thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands of chariots. When they hear the sound of war, the sound of chariots, they think, oh no, we're going to lose. They have so many, we don't have any. This is what was the problem in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha and his servant, Elisha saw, even though the enemy surrounded them with many chariots and warriors, Elisha's servant didn't see how many angels were in chariots helping Elisha and the servant. So he was terrified, the servant was terrified until Elisha prayed on behalf of the servant and said, O Lord, open his eyes so that he might see that greater, uh, do, do we have a greater number than our enemies have? And then his eyes were opened and it was fine. But in this case here, we see the sound of many chariots, but there is no one to help the people. No one to help those who dwell on the earth, the wicked people of the earth. The angels will accomplish what they must accomplish. And many horses rushing to battle, here too. When the horses are rushing to battle, there too, with the chariots and the horses, there's no way to win. Who's going to win unless he has more power, more chariots, more horses, more military than the enemy? Verse 10, And they have tails like scorpions and stings. And in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. These scorpions will sting the men and hurt them for five months, as we saw in verse 5. This is why they're going to long for death. They're going to have be so pained by what the evil spirits do to them, they will long for death, but they won't be able to experience it. They will be near death and want it. Verse 11 says, who controls all these locusts and this angel of the the pit? They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. These words mean destruction or destroyer. Destruction or destroyer. Whether Hebrew or Greek, he's got a double name. He is sent to destroy. This is what Satan does. He seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy, Jesus described him. This is the way Satan is. Verse 12. This is bad, but there is going to be even worse that comes. Verse 12 says, The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. It's going to be worse. We'll read about the sixth trumpet. The sixth trumpet, <coughs> verses 13 to 21. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they might kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire and of hyacinth and a brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire, and smoke, and brimstone. And a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, and the smoke, and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, and have heads, and with them they do harm. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their immorality nor of their thefts. The sixth angel, when he sounds, it says here, he hears a voice, John hears a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. From the altar he hears a voice. It doesn't say whose voice this is, but presumably it is the voice of God speaking because it's coming from the altar of God. And it says to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. At this great river Euphrates, this river Euphrates which symbolizes... Uh, prosperity, population, uh, fertility, all of these things, this Euphrates River, this is an important river. It, this was a river where, where the Garden of Eden was in that vicinity. It, it's a river throughout history that is important. Uh, the Kingdom of Israel was to extend up to the ra- river Euphrates, the northern part of the river Euphrates. So, this river Euphrates in due time, these angels are sent, and I believe that these angels are evil angels, they are sent in order to wreak this destruction, to wreak this death upon people. We see that angels are bound in Revelation twenty one to three, that is Satan bound, Revelation twenty one to three. In Second Peter two four and Jude six, both Peter and Jude describe how angels are bound in prison, in hell. So for angels to be bound and then released and then to do all of this destruction, they are likely evil angels sent out by God to do so. But they're sent out at the precise time, verse 15. Here he expresses the hour, day, month, and year. At the right time... God will send them forth and kill a third of mankind. We speak of people's time has not yet come. When we say His time hasn't come yet, we speak of the time of His death has not come. But who controls the time of one's death? Is it nature? Do people control it themselves? No, it's God Himself. And He will send His angels in order to bring about death here, in due time, in the hour, the day, the month, and the year that these people deserve. A third of mankind. That's a lot of people. If you think about how many people are on the earth right now, that's about seven or seven and a half billion people on the earth now. Can you imagine if two to three billion people were killed at one time, suddenly, at a precise time in history? That would be a lot of, of death, a lot of bodies here and there, everywhere, there wouldn't be enough time to bury them all quickly within three days before the stench would uh, pollute uh, all of the, the, the communities and, and nations of the earth. It'd be very difficult to deal with it. Notice there, verse 16 The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. He heard. This number meaning that they were 200 million. This is the number that he heard. He's not making it up. He's not exaggerating. He's describing that they are this many. This many. In verse 17, what, what happens? And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire, hyacinth, brimstone, Heads of, were like lions out of their mouths, proceed fire, smoke, brimstone. And then verse 18. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, fire, smoke, brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. So, what happens? Fire, hyacinth, brimstone. Fire, smoke, and brimstone. So, fire, uh, these three come upon man, and it kills them all. It kills them all. Now, the hyacinth is repeated in verse 17 as smoke and also in verse 18 as smoke. So this is what God sends, and he inflicts the people with these three plagues so that they die. And then it says in verse 19, The power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, and they have heads, and with them they do harm. Both the mouth of the horse and the tails of the horse are lethal. Lethal like serpents. Well, what should happen when so much death, destruction, and misery surrounds man? Repent. There should be repentance. But verses 20 to 21 describe how stubborn and stony, hard-hearted the people It says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. They did not repent. You see, sometimes when punishment and judgment comes, people learn from it, they learn righteousness from it. Sometimes that happens, but not all the time. It does not happen all the time because the human heart loves its sin. It loves its sin. And we redefine it. We call sins mistakes sometimes. We call them errors. We call them lifestyles. We call them uh, uh, living uh, environment. We, We call them by different names. But the Bible says these are the works of their hands. They worship demons. They worship idols of various elements. They don't repent of murder, sorceries, immorality, Sounds like he's describing the Ten Commandments. They're breaking the Ten Commandments and they have no shame. They have no guilt. They have no remorse, no sorrow. They don't want to repent. They want to continue. They want to continue doing what they do. In fact, it's so bad, later in chapter 16, notice what happens. Punishment Comes upon them. They are inflicted with these serious, serious punishments and plagues. And notice in chapter 16, verse 9, what they do. 16, 9. And men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Verse 11. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Instead of repenting, instead of looking to themselves and realizing they have sinned uh, grossly against God, they have offended God, instead of looking at it that way, they continue to offend God by blaspheming God. They slander God, they mock God, they curse God, Instead of realizing that God is cursing them and that they should repent, they deflect and point the finger at the God of heaven. This is the condition of man. This is why they deserve what they get. Now, all of this physical destruction represents eternal destruction. Jude verse 7, in describing Sodom and Gomorrah, he says... In Jude verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. When Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, and even when destruction comes on the earth throughout history, and even in the book of Revelation, it is intended to show. It's intended to depict that God is displeased. He's wrathful against man's sin. And He punishes man for his sin. And those who are punished will experience eternal punishment. The lake of fire, hell, forever and ever. And that we who are alive and see this, we ought to learn from it and repent of sin. If we believe in the Lord, repent of sin and grow in holiness. But if we don't believe in the Lord, repent of sin, be converted, believe that Christ died for our sin, and that He rose to give us eternal life. This is why this is happening. In chapters 8 and 9, because people don't repent. Let us repent. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says.